It's the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas. And what better way to get into the holiday spirit than with a Minky Couture blanket? Whether you're gathered around the tree with loved ones, roasting marshmallows by the fire, or just looking for a cozy way to stay warm on a chilly night, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Christmas festivities. With a wide range of festive designs and colors, you can find the perfect blanket to match your holiday decor or gift to your loved ones. So this Christmas, make your holiday even cozier with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket, just in time for the holiday. Happy Holidays from Minky Couture. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. It's another edition of the Custard TV podcast, and it is me, Matt, uh, here once again. We are rollicking towards what we think is 400, but we know it's not. Uh, last weekend, uh, we didn't record, we recorded earlier, so uh, we could both enjoy uh, Eurovision. Did you have a good time? We did have a very good uh, time at my friend's house. And one of my friends who's been coming to watch Eurovision with us for years, but has never really, you know, she only comes for the banter. She suddenly this year has got into it. She watched all the semi-finals. She came with a scorecard. She was fully engaged in it. So it's like we've brought her into the cult of Eurovision. <laughs> uh, I voted for Norway, which I really liked, and Australia. Oh, Australia, uh, really? Well, it was kind of 80s synth mm. rock, which is my kind of music, really. And Finland got a couple of votes from our house as well. So, But Finland seems to be the one I'm hearing about. Well, they were the ones the people were very passionate about, weren't they, in the, yes. in the crowd? Me and my friend, we do the scorecards every year. And top of mind was Belgium, again, because it was like a mid-90s sort of R&B Box. so that was, that was my sort of thing but I remember also like in Italy and I think Ukraine's entry was good I mean mm-hmm. we got back to the status quo of us and Germany being at the bottom of the leaderboard yeah <laughs> I thought there might be goodwill towards us for hosting it but obviously not but yeah I mean Mo does Eurovision translate you know is that part of your sort of Anglophilia do you do you follow Eurovision at all or is that sort of just something that's evaded you casually I, I, will, I will say it is actually it is on uh peacock over here i was actually out of the country Ooh, where were you mo so i was in the bahamas i was on the- <laughs> <laughs> i'll well. just pick that humble brag up off the floor <laughs> this could be a podcast a podcast don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those uh definitely not anyone with a computer can make one talking telly use your ears and trust them this is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. This week on the show, ITV's uh, Maryland, new three part drama, on BBC4 uh, in their nine o'clock foreign drama slot, we've got Norwegian, I would say, sort of fam, not even a family drama, really, is it? A sort of comedy drama. Comedy drama? drama yeah. Afterglow? Yeah. 
Platonic, which is a, another sort of a romantic comedy drama, I would say, on Apple TV+. Plus. And then we are journeying over to the international waters of Freebie for a new sitcom, Primo. Uh, but first, we'll go to Mo, uh, because it has been a couple of months since he's last been on the podcast. What have you been watching, Mo? Succession. Okay. <laughs> just it just rolls out of the the thing with this season of succession is that i have to keep it in my head how close the events of each episode are to each other because it yeah. is it's a very condensed period of time isn't it since like logan's death spoiler yeah. this episode you know w- was this quite representative of like election night specials in you know u.s news well maybe fox <laughs> <laughs> the back and forth the calling from from what i understand there is that that bit of there is a decision desk that decision desk theoretically is supposed to be an independent entity acn very much in the vein of of fox where they have a lot of commentators and so forth and they've got to kind of have this firewall between the commentators and the hard news and the data analytics piece, but clearly Logan had that firewall, but that firewall, as we saw in the episode, disintegrated, you know, under his children. And so there's just all kinds of chaos. And, you know, you would not have like one of the folks who is running for president showing up at your news agency, trying to influence coverage on election night. I mean, that's just really over the top. But the outcome of the episode does not surprise me and probably theoretically is what would logically could have happened back in 2020 had certain things not occurred on the Fox network. You know, I mean, you could very easily see where this is like some sort of alternate take on that. The season of succession has been absolutely brilliant. The death of Logan so early on and now we're just seeing the fallout I honestly am really curious about how things will turn because at one point I kind of had this idea of theory, some theories about who would ultimately come out on top or go. Greg's going to come out on top that, and that, and that <laughs> is what I thinking each week now it feels like somehow Greg is able to survive he fails upward is basically what is happening. Plus, with his grandfather being Logan's brother, I have a feeling like when when things shake out, he's gonna he's he's gonna be either running things or it's gonna be a major part of Waystar Royco, ACN, whatever. By the time uh, episode ten ends, I've noticed more and more this season that it is very much people in rooms talking. You know, it has been almost like every episode's been like a, a parlor room drama, hasn't it? You know, yeah. I think more so than previous seasons it's it's had the thing of all all the characters being in one room together where it whether it be the what would you call just after logan's death where they're all in in the apartment you mean when they would have in the wake yeah i suppose it was a wake wasn't it in in theory the party before the election where they're all in (laughs) in tom's apartment and now you know this election episode it has very been like all the characters together in a in a compressed space more or less and i think that's worked really well what about you Dawn? yeah i agree 
I'm, I'm really sad it's going to end and I just fear that it's all going to go horrible for all of them. And in some ways, obviously, they all deserve it. I am a, a happy ever after kind of girl at heart and I'm like, oh, I just want somebody to have a good ending. And, it, and it, I feel like, the, you know, the way they're writing it at the moment that uh, even Tom, Shiv, Kendall and Roman are just spiralling downwards and downwards and um, I don't know where it's going to end, which is, you know, that's good writing is that I can't predict it, but not in a bad way, not in a, oh, well, anything could happen, but in a, in a, what's the idiotic move are these children going to make next that will actually ruin them? So it's been painful watching, but entertaining at the same time. Dawn, what what about you? What have you been watching? I finished Not Dead Yet. The okay, um, odd. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, as I say, I had a very stressful week this week, so I needed something where I could be brain dead and just be pleasantly mm. entertained, and that worked. Uh, as as we said when we reviewed it um, last week or the week before, the guest stars is the best part about it. There's really, really, but I did enjoy it in the end because there was a ship in it. There was there was one which was a, a homage to Sherry Lewis and uh, Lamb Chop, which was very on point. But the uh, oh, Matt doesn't even know who that is. I'm I saw. So... Is that is that like the <laughs> Ameri- Is that like Moth in the Mule esque sort of thing? Yeah, a hand puppet, and um, yeah. the, the, the version in in not like over the duck or yes, the duck. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, they called it ham hock instead of lamb chop, but it was very on point. And I, I recognise the actress, but I can't remember her name, but a uh, Saturday Night Live alumni kind of thing. Uh, I also watched I Kissed a Boy with uh, Danny Minogue, the new um, oh. dating... High culture. Yeah, <laughs> it's just been a high culture week for me, isn't it? But, I, you know, I enjoyed it. It was pleasant. But I've also uh, finished all of Silo... And by the time this goes up, I should have a review of it on the website. I was doing some baking on Wednesday night and BBC4 had a Victoria Wood evening on. So I watched... Yes. <laughs> Did you do that as well? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Including Pat and Margaret, which I haven't seen yeah, for years, but it's really oh, I good. Pat and Margaret, yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot I watched all this. <laughs> I just told you my brain this week is not switched on, so... <laughs> yeah. I think I watched that when it first went out in the 90s and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mo, do you want to just discuss Geek Confidential and where people can find it? Sure. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and other podcatchers. I'm hoping that we will have a Geek Confidential episode out soon-ish because, you know, with things going on with our big network, the CW and the Flash TV show coming to an end, um, by the time this episode drops, the, the final episode of the, F- the Flash TV series will ha- will have come out. So we're, we're, hopefully we'll have some, some stuff uh, soon, but again, you can find us on the socials as well, or you can find me at uh, DrMo77 at Twitter. Uh, same for yep. the shipyard. Yes, we're still on hiatus. Uh, we are a podcast where we talk about ro- TV romances, ships, slow burns especially, and will they, won't they? Ben Slur on... Um, SVU and uh, Organised Crime is currently holds the title for the longest running 23 years I think they are without getting together but they're still almost getting together that's so, all back uh, this week isn't it on yeah. Sky Witness I just put the TV week together yes yeah, so that's uh, definitely one to, to watch to keep a track of, of their relationship and you can find us on the Shipyard UST 
on uh, YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and any podcast platform. And yeah, we are um, the Custard TV. Uh, we have got weekly reviews of Succession. Luke has also written um, a piece on a show we will be discussing next week, which is Ryan Johnson's Poker Face. As ever, all of our um, you know coming soons and what's on TV this week, and and this is where you can find the podcast as well custardtv.com way over 400 episodes available on all your podcast apps of choice going back to 2011 please rate review and subscribe uh, wherever you find us if you would like to uh, be a another voice on the podcast you can contact us on twitter at matt's tv bites at luke custard tv at custard tv pod we are on facebook the custard tv Email is custardtvreviews at gmail.com. And the most important thing is the Instagram, isn't it, Dawn? Uh, yes, it's the Custard TV, which, uh, which Dawn very kindly uh, keeps in check for us over there. So, yeah, so let us get on now to the reviews. Maryland, uh, this is a three-part ITV drama, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night on ITV1. It is co-created by and stars uh, Saran Jones, as Becca, she's a wife and mother of two teenage girls. We see sort of her mum being found dead on, on a beach. And then she gets a call to say, mum's died on the Isle of Man. Becca's sort of remained in Manchester close to her parents. Um, whereas her sister, Rosaline, has moved to uh, London. There's a level of estrangement there to an extent. You know, they're, they're not close as sisters they agree to go to the, the Isle of Man together to identify their mother's body they're sort of wondering what it's the Isle of Man by and by they sort of meet the friend who was with her or found her body who was played by Hugh Corshi they learn that actually she has been coming to the Isle of Man for about 15 years she was adopted and she met her birth mum on the Isle of Man the sisters later um, meet um, what's the name of the character played by Stockard Channing? Was it Kathy? Kathy, Kathy, uh, played by Stockard Channing in an absolute <laughs> brilliant barnstorming performance <laughs> as this uh, as Kathy who has a sideline in uh, selling cannabis uh, on the island. But there's the suggestion that there's something more going on there with the, with that character that she's rifling through bathroom cabinets. There's also resentments between the sisters. Rosaline was ill as the sisters were growing up, leading Becca to almost become like a surrogate mother. And there's a suggestion that she might have another health scare when we first meet her. So there's little bits. And actually, I think the chemistry between Jones and Eve Best it was, for me, one of the, the strongest things here. You know, they had... There was sort of the believable bond, but also that resentment. I thought the balancing act there was quite strong. And I think as we go on, there is sort of a question mark perhaps on um, the cause of death, which we still don't know. Dawn, I'll go to you first. Did you go on at all? Did we have? Yeah, I watched the second episode and that's when the cause of death comes up and, and, okay. and that yeah creates more. But from from episode one, what did you what did you make to it? I, I found it a bit slow, but I think what I went into it thinking it was going to be something different than it was. I thought it was going to be more about the mother and the 
mystery and whatever. But it really is mostly about the two sisters. It's about their relationship with each other and their relationship with their parents. And majority of the scenes are the two of them talking to each other. And that goes through. Um, I loved, yeah, Stockard Channing, as soon as she comes on, it lights up, lights up the room. Um, and I really wanted more with her character. And that was one of the reasons I went on. It feels almost like a play in that sense because there is so much of the, the two sisters in one room in their hotel room in the, the house they end up moving into, which they discover was their grandmother's, their biological grandmother's house. It's like there's so many of these really great actors in it, like George uh, Costigan is, uh, plays their father and they don't know their relationship. And I wanted more of everybody. But I agree, the relationship between the two sisters, their the chemistry is right there interactions there the discord between them the disconnect the resentment that one was ill and 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 one you know had to look after another and as someone who was ill as a teenager I understand that feeling that you are the center of the attention and you don't want to be you don't want everybody else to give up their life for you and dedicate it to you but you know nobody has any choice about it I'm, I'm interested to know what prompted Saran Jones to create it I didn't see anything about um, yeah, I have to say, I didn't, I I haven't read an interview. There are interviews with her, and I, unfortunately, I was sort of pressed for time. It's Anne-Marie O'Connor, who's the co-creator and, and the writer, who uh, co-created Trollied and wrote all of Hull Raisers. So, oh, yes. <laughs> so she's come more from <laughs> comedy than, than drama. So it's interesting sort of mixture. Um, picking up what you say there, Dawn, I, I did feel like, we were almost rushing in a way because we know we've only got three episodes. Mm. I know we've said it before, especially with the ITV drama, they want these three or four parters that they can spread over a week or put all on ITVX. But for something like this, which is more of a character drama, you know, there are the, the mysteries that really are around what happened to Mary and what is going on with, with Kathy. But a lot of it is about those resentments those little things in families that build up over time and come out when you are in close proximity with a sibling those little moments I think are the best thing about it but you have to then go back to the plot you know there's that bit where they're both sort of climbing up on the walls and things and yeah I thought that was a brilliant moment because you can see these two are sisters they're being silly together and that is what you would do and then it turns I think when they see the necklace that yeah. Becca's uh, got on. And, and again, that's where things start to come out. But I feel I would have liked to have spent more time with these characters, as you, as you said, Dawn, exactly the same. You know, George Costigan gets a couple of scenes in this and mm-hmm. obviously there's things going on there. How much did he know? He's very evasive. He doesn't want to speak about Mary's connection to the Isle of Man. I thought the performances were great. I think the direction as well, you know, the capturing of the Isle of Man by uh, Sue Tully Mo, who you will remember as the original Michelle Fowler on EastEnders. (laughs) But where it fell down for me a little bit was in the dialogue. I don't know if either of you found that. There was a line earlier on with Rosalind. She's having an affair with the co-worker or something like that. And she says, it's not a good time. And he says, it's always a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and then, which, you know, consent, guys, come on. And then later on, my favourite line was when R- Rosalind asked the Hugh Corsi character, we having an affair. 
and he goes away and Becca asks her, like, why did you, why did you do that? And she said, I just wanted to get rid of any elephants in the room. And Becca said, yeah. why does there have to be an elephant? <laughs> <laughs> like, people don't say things like that. That's where it fell down a little bit for me. And and Becca's got this teenage daughter who might be expelled from school. And the the trope that I'm growing a bit tired of now is the establishing shot of the family where we meet the teenager who is who is on their phone and will not communicate <laughs> with their parents that is something you know we see the character their partner one child it's normally a younger child like a younger yep. boy and then you'll have a teenage girl come to the table with a phone and parents say can you put the phone down please or something to that effect and that's why you know they're a bit you know off the rails or what have you so that's a trope that starts to get me. And again, you know, that seems like a subplot that's very down the list of priorities, which if it was more of a, you know, say we got double the episodes, we could have spent a bit more time with it, perhaps. So, Matt, it's clearly you're, you're, you're slowly becoming Luke. And... No. <laughs> right. And cool. And cool. So I, I, I was reading the description of Marilyn and... Saran Jones mentions that this is a throwback series. And in some ways, I can see how it's a throwback. But I think that, again, as you all have pointed out, you know, we needed more time with these characters. And I hate to say this, I am kind of less interested necessarily in what happened to their mother. I just want to see these characters bouncing off of each other. I want to see more of Becca and Rosalind's relationship and just I want to see what was that breaking point for them and what caused that that split uh it's clear that health issues Becca has had to take on this more maternal role not just with her but you see how that impacts her own family and her own relationships it's clear that Becca's own family can't function without her. You've got things like Jim, who's like panicking and upset about the wash and so forth when, you know, his mother-in-law has died and dude is freaking out about the wash. And, you know, not just that, but the stuff involving uh, Becca's older teenage daughter and just the way Becca comes across and interacts with the world. It it's very much seems like it's reverse where Rosalind is the younger sister, I guess, from a mental perspective, and Becca's the older. Stalker Channing is is Kathy. I I love the energy that she brings. I love, you know, the whole notion of of her having this medicinal marijuana business going on on the island, and how you know you've got these these older people just pulling up to. I mean, that's the series I wanted to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> and I love the moment. Is, is Becca and Rosalind going through their mom's house and then Rosalind finds that drawer full of men's clothes and just is like, you know, that's when the wheels start turning. It's like, and I'm naturally thinking that it's Pete's clothes as well, but I'm I'm like wondering, well, what if it's their dad's clothes and he's been there too? I mean, I just feel like there's so much to enjoy about this. And for something that's three episodes, man, I really wish that it was a bit longer based on what you were saying before i have found this from saran jones she said she basically had an initial idea wrote a treatment about two sisters finding out their mother was leading a double life 
And she said the attraction for her, this was a 60-something-year-old woman. And while we're used to seeing men leading double lives in drama all the time, we never see women. So I wanted to explore how she'd do that. Also, it was important to have prominent characters written in their 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s. These people have lived, they have experienced, and I think people forget that. And then she was teamed up by her agents with Anne-Marie O'Connor because they also look after writers as well as actors. So there's a bit of context for you there, Dawn. Thank you. I think um, the, the the group, you know, the, the photos we see on the wall, the, the, the mother, Mary, has a group of friends, you know, that include mm-hmm. Kathy and Pete. And I wanted to see more of them. I want to see this group who are possibly all single in their 60s or 70s or whatever, and they're a friendship group. And that would be a really interesting story. So if it does go on, I really hope it does. With Kathy as a central figure, I would really be interested in watching that yeah I think we're all on on the same page here really with Maryland just would have liked a bit more perhaps um but we'll see what happens again this is a on over three night job from Monday to Wednesday moving now to uh, BBC4 um to the 9 p.m uh, Saturday night slot which was traditionally for as me and uh, Luke and Gary used to dub it the Nordi Noir slot and um, this is where they put their foreign dramas mainly mystery dramas but the Norwegian comedy drama Afterglow is a little bit different and Dawn will explain to us now why. It's the story of Esther who's about to celebrate her 40th birthday. She is married to Ariel and they have three teenage-ish children. The youngest I think is 11. Um, She has Down syndrome. They have a teenage boy and an older teenage girl. Esther's a nurse. Uh, Ariel is a something to do with lecturing that's all I can tell you his job but he's also uh, got a project in Tokyo he's got so he's, yeah I was a bit confused by that as well he's, he's a man who likes is he like an astrologist or an astronomer or something <laughs> like that I, I was gonna say I thought maybe he was an astrophysicist and he's got a project in, in Tokyo anyway <laughs> uh, they're about to celebrate her 40th birthday she's having a big party she's invited all their friends and family and it's going to be a dance party uh, her friends include Marlene, who's a, a nurse that she works with, who has fairly recently broken up with Finn, who is Esther's childhood best friend. And there's another couple, Charlotte and Euron, who uh, have a son. On the day of the party, Esther gets a phone call, which tells her that a recent smear test she's had, they've done further investigation and found out she has cancer. Tells her husband, but she decides she doesn't want anybody else knowing. She's determined to have a good night and party on. Uh, you know, the minor dramas of the, the of Charlotte and Euron uh, wearing Afro wigs and then deciding that's not okay. Um, their their daughter desperate to see the, that couple's son's Willie. Uh, and there is uh, some drama with Finn, who has met a woman, Frederick, and he brings her as a date when Marlene had assumed he was coming uh, solo and they could maybe reconnect. Also, Esther's sister, Stella, comes with her husband and they've got a new baby. They put the baby in the spare room and have a baby monitor. And as the night progresses, uh, Esther's husband isn't coping with the, the weight of the knowledge that his wife has cancer. And he goes into the room to have a little bit of a, a time alone. Esther comes in, they talk about it. And unfortunately, the baby monitor has picked it up and everybody at the party now knows that Esther has cancer, but she convinces them we're going to party on and I'm going to fight this. It almost works as as a a short play on its own. I thought Mm. it could have 
it could have been a short film. I actually, I didn't watch any other full episodes. I just watched a bit of a couple randomly dropped into a couple just to see kind of how it worked. And it is just carrying on the, the plot of these. Because I thought they could just have a completely different story, you know, focusing on a different person in the group each week because they, it was so uh, compact in, in one episode. But no, it just goes on as a normal drama. I was thinking it was kind of akin to the 90s series uh, 30-something. It reminded me a lot of that. They had very similar themes of married couples who've been you know, together for 20-odd years and the issues that come up. And in, in 30-something, there was this, a similar story where the, the woman who was the centre of the group uh, got cancer and how everybody around her, how it affected everyone around her and how she coped with it um, and the relationships of people who are single and, and how that goes on. But Mo, would you agree, were those wigs okay or not? Was it okay? <laughs> See, why, why do I have to <laughs> go on the bus about this? I mean, <laughs> I, okay. I, I, <laughs> you don't have to answer the question, Mo. It's just a bit of comedy. Just tell us what you thought of Afterglow. Wigs aside, because <laughs> there, there were just wigs. Don, you mentioned um, 30, uh, 30-something. It, I actually thought about Cold Feet. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, yeah. Hmm. There was this warmth to this show, even though we were dealing with such uh, heavy matters as life and death. And not just Esther's cancer diagnosis, but the beginning of the show where we learned that she's some sort of nurse. Either she's a hospice nurse or... or yeah, it's a, it's a care nurse. home, isn't it? That's, yeah. what, that's how I picked it up as. She's, she works in, a, in a, an old people's home. Death seems to be, you know, this other character in the background, whether, you know, it's her worrying about whether or not this patient of Esther's, their daughter is going to arrive from South America before this individual uh, passes. South Africa, isn't it? South, yeah, so, that's a South America. Yeah. I meant South Africa. <laughs> and how we do get the culmination of that plot at the end of the episode and how that intertwines with what's going on with, with Esther at that at that particular moment. But for all the heavy issues that we do get, there is the sense that life goes on and that people are dealing with very day-to-day normal things. So we have the scene where Charlotte and her husband, Euron, uh, they're at some sort of school event for for their child and uh, some sort of dress rehearsal for band and where th- we see this interaction between Charlotte and, I guess, one of the other parents. And in my mind, it's like, well, could that turn into something, you know, two and three episodes down the line? 
There's, uh, of course, Finn and his new hookup and the whole <laughs> issue with Marlene and, you know, which was a little soapy. But it's nice that, you know, you've got these characters who are maybe above 40, you know, still dealing with these relationship kind of things. I, I thought this was really good comedy drama series. It's really solid. Yeah, and I know that Luke always bemoans the fact that the lack of these sort of uh, dramas. And and you're right, Mo, from what you're saying, you know, that other dramas would have simply focused on Esther's family. But, you know, you have got all these little intertwining relationship plots and the allusion to cold feet is I I would agree with that fully. And I love this. I'm always a bit trepidatious about watching the subtitle dramas for this uh, just because obviously it takes more to hold your attention while you've got the subtitles but I think of the four shows this is the one that captivated me the most the main characters the main family were also well drawn also multifaceted all the reactions to things throughout felt authentic the scene where she finds out that she's got cancer I thought that was brilliantly shot and framed her husband is behind her like cutting vegetables or something like that and you know it's centered where like in the archway where she's in the living room he's in the kitchen and i just thought that was absolutely brilliant the sort of the color palette of their house i really liked there were some laugh out loud moments as we said with the are wearing afro wigs is that as bad as blackface in this in this time and i thought that was i mean the character of durand isn't it he yeah he is obviously like the, the sort of the comedy foil of certainly of this first episode. You know, he's the one when he finds out he'll have to dance, he's trying anything to get out of going to this party. And then, as as Dawn said, you know, this revelation that is accidentally made to the entire party about her cancer and the sort of the aftermath of that and everyone's sort of reactions are, again, really authentic. And actually, you know, there was parts that made me tear up when there's like that montage of video clips from people who couldn't be there and and then the husband can't bring himself to talk about the Tokyo trip for next year because what's going to happen next year and then the fact that Durand is the first one to dance when she puts the music on you know that got me quite emotional the the double gut punch of that and then the guy in the nursing home his daughter turning up from South Africa is just like so yeah I mean I'll I haven't gone on but I think this is one that I mean this is all on the iPlayer now and I would definitely recommend it even if you're not really big with subtitled stuff I think you'll like this the characters are well drawn and it is a really sort of a, a show that just felt real to me what about you Dawn? Yeah I agree I definitely think I'll, I'll go on and watch the rest of it very naturalistic I think it's such a mind of of good story to write about people in this age. It's a conversation I was having last night, funnily enough, is that people in their mid-40s, you have the double-ended issues of you're dealing with teenagers and kid issues, and the kids, you know, they're getting to that age, they're either at puberty or they're teenagers, and that's a very difficult time, but you're also dealing with your ageing parents, and we see Esther's father in this, uh, and her relationship with him is obviously going to be one of the central stories. And so you're dealing with ageing parents who need care. And so you're in that area of life where you've got two sides coming at you. And then you're facing your own ageing and your situation with 
with Jeez, cancer don't. or sorry, thank <laughs> Happy fortieth. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> and and I guess that Maryland was dealing with that as well with Becca. When you're a woman, especially of that age, what, you know who you are in life, what's your position in life, and how you deal with things going forward and I think they've done that really well with Esther she's a very warm and interesting a lively person to follow uh, so you want to know what's going on in her life and, and everybody she's connected to um, and I think that they, they did that very well. I, I have no problem watching uh, subtitles because I watch with subtitles all the time anyway. It, you don't notice it after a while. Anybody that worries about watching with subtitles, you forget after a while that you're reading it as well as watching it. I think it's uh, processing so, people talking in a different language, I suppose, yes, more than, yeah. you know. It is a skill set that's developed, but I think you can you can start someone off young if you just haven't watched anime mm, with subtitles. Yeah. Mo's tip for the day, get your kids <laughs> watching anime. Um, all very positive on this. As I say, this is all up on the iPlayer now or Double Bills on Saturday nights on BBC4. Moving on now to another show which focuses on uh, people in their 40s. And as the male character says in this, dating in your 40s is rubbish. You're over the hill. This was basically the message from these two shows this week. <laughs> just, just at me specifically, you're 40 in seven weeks, Matt. What have you done with your life? Mo is just going to set up uh, Platonic. This is on Apple TV Plus and it stars... Seth Rogen and uh, Rose Byrne. Platonic reunites uh, Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen along with uh, one of the series uh, co-creators, Nick Stoller. The three of them worked on the Neighbors or Bad Neighbors film series. Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen's characters were married in uh, the Apple TV Plus series Platonic. The pair play uh, friends who've fallen out. Seth Rogen's character, whose name is Will. Rose Byrne's character, Sylvia finds out from Instagram of all places, got to do it for the gram, uh, that Will has divorced his wife. She decides to reconnect uh, with him with a little nudging from her husband, uh, Charlie, who's played by Luke McFarlane. When Sylvia and Will reconnect, they reconnect at a, at a Starbucks and it's a little bit odd. You know, you're still, it's like a first date. You're, st- you're trying to suss out this in- individual. Sylvia, I love this line. She describes Will. He's dressed like a nineties grudge clown, uh, who's a brewmaster at, at a, at a bar. Will co-owns a brewery with his wife's stepbrother who Will likes to always say, say that his business partner and his stepsister have some sort of weird closeness that he doesn't quite understand. Sylvia is dealing with a number of normal issues that women who are in their forties, you know, are dealing with, or at least according to television, that is Uh, she's dealing with her kids. uh, She's dealing with making sure that she's able to maintain some sort of sex life with her husband. We have the scene where Sylvia and her friend Katie are dropping off their kids. And Sylvia feels like she's projected now that her youngest daughter is telling her, you don't need to walk me into school. You know, I can do this on my own. And her and Katie are discussing how, you know, women who are like 40 now are just basically invisible. Uh, Sylvia and Katie decide to go to this party that's happening at Will's bar. They decide that they're going to leave early because, you know, it's after 10 and they've got, you know, they've got a busy day in the morning of dropping off the kids and so forth. And then they witness this argument between uh, Will and his ex-wife who showed up 
with a date and go and try to bond and reconnect with Will. And so Will and uh, Sylvia end up going out for a drink. They have too many drinks. They end up talking about particularly how Will looked back in the 90s and so forth. And Will feels like he's, he's you know, he's at four, uh, he's now 40. He, he doesn't have the prowess that he used to have. And that, Thanks, you know, Mo. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, when you, right, you, are you missing a necklace? Are you is that is it? Are you missing your symbol of yeah. power? Because yeah. Will seemed to feel like that was what he was missing. And he needed that in order to recapture his youth. So the, the pair go to a pawn shop where they get the spike collar off of a dog. And and so at the end of this episode, it's clear that they're rebuilding their relationship. We'll be curious to see how this impacts uh, Sylvia's life with her husband, who is, is, is clearly perfectly fine with his, his wife coming home late at night and drunk and everything. He, he, you know, he tries to hook up with her. And then after that misfire, you know, she ends up texting Will. And so it's a classic American comedy setup. I, I'm sure in the next nine episodes, there'll be just so much drunken debauchery. Your head will explode, probably. <laughs> Two questions to Dawn. First of all, are these problems that uh, women in their 40s have to deal with? And secondly, (laughs) are we feeling a ship coming on in this? See, I thought this is going to be a really interesting show for me to watch because I will ship any two people. But I'm assuming the point of this is to show, and I'm glad they, they mentioned when Harry met Sally in the first episode, because originally the film When Harry Met Sally ended with just being friends but it didn't go down with with audiences so they rewrote it and we have the classic rom-com that we do now and that dealt with the conceit can women men and women be friends and i guess this is what this is doing can they just be friends i am assuming they will just remain friends i and that's uh, going against my normal nature as as a shipper especially i do love friends to lovers um trope this is a series which is basically all those Seth Rogen, Roseburn type films like Bad Neighbours and there's other ones as well that I can't think of but Roseburn well, Nick, was... Nicholas Stoller who is the co-creator along with his wife, you know, was involved in quite a lot of those films Forgetting Sarah, Sarah Marshall, Marshall. Getting, to, getting yes. to the Greek, was the five year Was that them as well maybe? The five year engagement you know, working alongside Judd Apatow, I suppose. Um. Yeah, that's the <laughs> So it basically, Seth Rogen is playing the characters he always plays. The kind of, not loser, but, you know, aimless person. Be- who... beta, beta males, I think is beta. the term. <laughs> yes. You know, very kind of hipster into, you know, all he cares about is weed and getting high and drunk and video games he collects. You know, when, when he's texting with Sylvia, he's bidding on garbage pail yeah. kid cards on <laughs> eBay. So, you know, somebody who's stuck in their childhood, kind of not grown up, that kind of thing. And so it's just that same dynamic. And it's it's a bit like Knocked Up, I thought, you know, because she's got a family, she's middle class and, you know, he's just kind of hipster, cool and edgy and and that felt like a very similar dynamic to the the knocked up one. But if you don't like those films, you won't like this because it is basically the same kind of feel. There are scenes feel improvised. I don't know if they are, but it's that same sort of vibe, you know, when they're having banter back and forth. I enjoyed that comedy from it. 
but I don't know about the core plot. I don't know how I feel about that. Did, how did you go on? Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. I watched the second one, yeah, um, which was all about her um, possibly buying a house um, and not buying it. And he goes along with her and, you know, there is chaos in shoes kind of thing. I just don't know how I feel about their relationship. It's the question that the characters are asking. You know, why why do you need to spend time with this guy? She only seems to have this one female friend. Where are her other friends? And and what is it about their relationship that what did she get out of their friendship? There's a scene where she is playing wing lass, as she calls it, rather than wingman in a bar. And I, I like that. I thought, oh yeah, I could see that if that's the kind of relationship they have where she helps them pick up chicks and whatever. But once you're settled down in a relationship what is their relationship to each other I don't know about this series <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't dislike it but I didn't love it I just felt very conflicted about it I think the issue for me is that it straddled the line between as you say these films that you know we've all referenced with something more sort of relationship based perhaps something that this lack that a lot of those films had even if you possibly didn't like their tone was energy i just felt there was a, a lack of energy in this throughout and i i struggled with both characters especially will seth rogan's character who as you say was like this hipster character really nothing to sort of make you sort of sympathize with his situation sure. I thought his attack of his ex-wife outside the club was really sort of almost like brutal in a way. Is Sylvia, is she meant to be Australian? Yeah, it's funny because the, before I watched it, my husband said, oh yeah, Rose Byrne's Australian. And I went, is she? And he was like, yeah. So I looked up yeah. and, then, and then I thought, am I just hearing this because I now know she's Australian? I can only hear an Australian accent, but no. I've had a conversation before. I don't know why I thought she was Irish at one point, possibly the surname Byrne. <laughs> Nick Stoller um, has co-created this with his wife, as I said, uh, Francesca de, del Blanc, uh, Francesca del Banco. Uh, they wrote a, a Netflix series called Friends from College a few years ago. I don't know if either of you um, saw that at all. Keegan Michael Key, Fred Savage was in it. That had a similar sort of tone to it. This relationship between people again who were friends in college and what it's like now you know, that they've grown up. I thought possibly the best bit in the first episode was their initial meeting in, in Starbucks where it is very awkward and those conversations, you, you know, they're very sort of limiting. Are you still doing that now? How's that going? That felt the most real to me. But then I, I just didn't get on with it. And it there was no sort of nothing really insightful, you know, the opening scene where they're trying to have a family movie night, none of the kids can agree, so they just all are on their tablets with their headphones on in the next scene. Some of the the references felt really, really dated. There was reference to, you know, George W. Bush uh, and the invasion of Iraq. There was a reference to Mel Gibson's anti-Semitism. I was like, when was this <laughs> script written? 
but yeah, no, not for me. You know, it's it's less than the sum of its parts. I think you would expect more from Rose Byrne and, and Seth Rogen. What about you, Meg? I feel like this spoke to me. And and the reason why is because when you hit 40 <laughs> and you, you start reflecting upon your relationships maybe you had with friends in college, people you may have lost touch with and you're trying to reconnect, I have experienced something similar not to this extreme where we're going out and getting drunk and then being you know chased by a dog in a uh, pawn shop but after an extended period just trying to reconnect and you know trying to figure out where each person stands at now and i can see that and this is obviously the extreme version of that Seth Rogen is Seth Rogen. I think if you like Seth Rogen... I, I think he is a varied actor. He can play, but this is his star persona, I suppose yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, so this is, this is his default role. And so this is his comfort zone. And and so if you like that, that's fine. And I, and I agree, he's done other things. And he's done other things where, you know, he just has blown me away. I will say, I do get why... There probably are you. Mel Gibson just is like a boomerang. He just comes back around and around. You know, there was even there's even talk of a new Mel Gibson movie now. So I can understand why they dropped the reference to Mel Gibson and his anti-Semitism because the George Bush thing. We're still talking about stuff with Clinton. I just think it's both together in a short period of time, though, is what I mean. Do you know what I mean? It just felt very over time. Those two jokes together. It, it could be also when they were coming up. Like, let, mm. let's assume that it was 20 years ago. Maybe they were the peak of, of their friendship. And mm. these were things that were going on. And so maybe, you know, it is this throwback reference to a time at which they were really connecting with each other. And that's kind of how I interpreted it. Okay. Would you go on with this? Is this something you're going to keep watching? Yeah, I honestly, I planned on watching another episode this morning, but I didn't get around to it. Because I know that Apple TV Plus, as it does has dropped the first three and then they'll be weekly going yeah. forward so so i definitely going to watch the second one today okay it didn't give me any reason really to go back to it i just felt it was all very low energy and you say about like the seth rogan characters you know the protagonists all had a level of warmth about them that i just feel was lacking here from will i didn't you know I, I didn't get that, and I just there wasn't anything for me in those two central characters, really. They were trying to make some kind of point about Sylvia has not worked for 13 years. She's been in a, you know, at home and trying to find herself again, that she's lost herself to motherhood or whatever. But I just didn't feel like Seth Rogen's character made sense to me as the person to help her out of mm. that. As Mo said, there's three episodes available on, on Apple now, and I believe it's one new episode every wednesday uh final show of the week we head to amazon freebie the streaming service that nobody knows that they've got <laughs> we recently talked um jury duty uh which is another freebie show this is almost another old-fashioned sitcom like um dawn was saying not uh, about not dead yet we talked about that a couple of weeks ago now this is a semi-autobiographical sitcom by Shay Serrano, who I believe is an author and journalist. Do you know aware of him at all, Mo? Shay Serrano. No. Uh, also involved here is Michael Schur of uh, Good Place and Parks and Rec uh, fame. He's one of the executive producers. Uh, the show centres around uh, Rafa, a 16-year-old who's about to start his junior year at high school. Uh, Rafa lives with his uh, single mother. 
Drea, who raised him solo from an early age after his father left. Rafa's primary male influence growing up has been his five uncles, Jay, Mondo, Raleigh, Mike and Ryan, who will often give him conflicting advice to help solve his problems. This is most evident in the opening episode uh, when Rafa is told by a guidance counsellor that his grades are good enough for him to get into college. Naturally, his uncles all argue about it, while Rafa worries that his mum can't afford for him to go to college after seeing how much money she has in her bank account. As I say, very sort of traditional family sitcom setup. I will go to Mo. What did you make to this? Why is this on Freebie? Like, why isn't it on one of the broadcasts? I can't answer that, Mo. (laughs) (laughs) But it's very charming. One of the things I did struggle with was trying to place the the five uncles. Like, distinctively, you know, I couldn't remember their names. Uh, I could just remember their personality. This is why Wikipedia is my friend. Yes. And (laughs) and so that I hope that in future episodes, we get an opportunity to be able to distinguish each of the five uncles, their relationship with their nephew. Um, Like we can have like a little special episode with each one of them. I think that it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like you said, this feels like a very old network sitcom. It seems like we got things wrapped up in a bow and in this installment, but we've got some plot progression. It's easily a show you can watch with just about anyone. I will say that it didn't necessarily move me or find me as riveted as some of the other shows. I didn't have a visceral reaction, either negatively or positively. It was perfectly entertaining. I can see, you know, where you're coming from there. Um, Dawn, is this going to be a... um... A replacement now for Not Dead Yet. How many did you watch here? I only watched two. I I didn't connect with it at all. I found the Hmm. comedy really awkward. Um, I thought, you know, the uncles are all such broad stereotypes. The, you know, Hmm. the dumb one, the sensible one in finance, the kind of rough one and uh, the hippie one. And then the other one, I don't know where his personality is. Um, I don't know. It just didn't work. The woman who's one... in the army, I think you're missing out. Was that, that's that yeah. the, the other one? Okay. Um, there was one line that made me laugh, which was when he's, he's describing what it's like having these uncles to his friend. And he says, it's like being inside a cloud of bees, except the bees are always cussing and punching each other. <laughs> I thought that was a really good line. But there were other scenes where I just thought the comedy was very awkward. The dialogue was very awkward. I really liked his his mum. I thought she was really, you know, lightens up the screen, is very engaging as a character. I just didn't get the the brothers thing. And um, I have to say, if I think it's still on Netflix, I'm not sure, but a, a similar themed show is One Day at a Time about a Hispanic single mom and, and, and their uh, children. And that is a fantastic traditional American sitcom. And I would say watch that instead of I don't know if it's maybe because this comes at a male's perspective, but I certainly the first episode I really enjoyed. And I think I found about five laugh out loud moments in the first sort of 10 minutes. I think it calmed down once you sort of got him to the school and they introduced this new girl who, you know, he's got a crush on. But I liked the um, No Wolf of Wall Street before 8am. The uncle, I think it's Ryan, who's the bank teller. He's stapling his business card to apples and asks <laughs> Rafa, is there any a better way to attach business cards to apples? And he says, how about tape? Uh, there's that bit where the, the oldest uncle is talking about him becoming a, an apprentice in the firm. He says, soon he'll be 16, then he'll be 17, then he'll be 18. 
And then one of the uncles says, what happens next after he's 18? <laughs> what age does he turn then? And then there's that montage of all his mum throwing him a party for every occasion, you know, congrats on, was it joining the football team and like to leaving the football <laughs> team? <laughs> As I say, it's, it's very traditional, but the jokes keep coming at you. I didn't know at the time, but you can, I can, looking back on it, it does have that authenticity as it's written from the point of view of the character. I enjoyed the performance from Ignacio Diaz Silverio, um, who played Rafa. He was a very likable presence. And he, uh, Christina Vidal as the mum. I thought she was an excellent character, sort of explaining all the little deals she had to make to get him a suit in the first episode. I, I just, you know, this just had a likability about it and energy. I do agree that the uncles perhaps are thinly drawn and, you know, what Mo said, you know, you'd l- like to spend a little bit more time with each one rather than the, just being this sort of conglomerate of stereotypes. But I, I suppose that's what they are to begin with to try and give you that concept. It was a, a, a surprise for me and it really grew on me certainly a lot more than than Platonic did. Not for you then, Dawn, I'm surprised. I know, I, I'm surprised as well. Maybe I'll give it another... I was, it was the last show I watched this week, right. so maybe I've, I was suffering fatigue. Oh, TV maybe. Fatigue. <laughs> um, it is a very easy watch as well, so and yeah, I, I really just want to tell people it's there because, no, like, Jury Duty, for example, it was one where I only found out about it when people started talking about it on Twitter. So, yeah, so that's Primo. That is all on uh, Freevee. Uh, which uh, you can find on Amazon. Uh, we didn't tell people how where Freebie is. Oh. It's on it's on your Amazon Prime thing. If you just go into Amazon Prime, search for Primo, you'll find it. There you go. Um, so yeah, that's us done. Thank you so much for Dawn and Mo for joining me. Uh, do you want to just quickly run through your Twitters, Dawn? Yep, I'm at Dawn Glenn Two, and the shipyard is the shipyard UST. I'm at Dr. Mo 77 on Twitter. Yeah, I'm at Matt's TV Bites. Uh, Luke at Luke Custard TV, the podcast at Custard TV Pod. You can f- uh, find us on any of your podcast apps of choice. And you can contact us on Facebook, Instagram, it's the Custard TV and Custard TV Reviews at gmail.com. Next week, uh, the aforementioned Poker Face plus White House Plumbers. But uh, for now, that is it. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal.